0: A man was walking in a wilderness, and he became lost and was unable to find his way out. Another man met him, and he asked, Sir, I am lost. Can you show me the way out of the wilderness? No, said the stranger. I can do something much better. I will walk with you, and we'll walk out together. This short story helps us or prepares us to dive into Luke chapter 15, where we will look at the heart of God, a God who delights in seeking and saving lost sinners. And in light of Christmas and the celebrations that we've recently had, it's feeding that we would feast on This passage, which highlights Jesus' mission of seeking and saving the lost. The Gospel of Matthew. In the Gospel of Matthew, we read that an angel delivered a message to Joseph and Mary, and he said, regarding Jesus, You shall call His name Jesus, for He will save His people from their sins. God, coming in human form, in the person of Jesus Christ, to save lost sinners is the heart of the gospel. It is the reason for the incarnation. And so this morning, we gather to worship a God who not only seeks to save the lost, but who also rejoices when lost sinners are found. So we will see in our passage this morning that God delights in saving sinners. So please turn with me to Luke 15. Luke chapter 15 Now similar to the Good Samaritan passage from a few weeks ago This morning we're not going to follow an outline But simply walk through the passage Driving our main point home Which is God delights in seeking and saving lost sinners So before we begin Let's review the setting for our passage now in redemptive history historically I want to want to remind us that prior to the fall man had a perfect relationship a sinless relationship with God we read in Genesis chapter 3 that God walked and talked with man but man rebelled and after the fall man hid from God From that point forward, God has been seeking sinners, calling them to repentance. Now here in our passage this morning, Jesus had been invited to dine at the house of a a ruler of the Pharisees. We read that uh, beginning in verse uh, 1 of chapter 14. And while he was there, Jesus taught the lawyers and Pharisees asking them if it was lawful to heal on the Sabbath. He also taught the guests attending the dinner, telling them a parable about a wedding feast, teaching them about humility. He also taught the man who invited him, telling him a parable of a great banquet. And Jesus also taught the crowds who accompanied him, teaching him about the cost of discipleship. And so we see that Jesus was down in the nitty-gritty among the lost, teaching lost people because he was concerned for them. And as Jesus was doing this, Luke tells us here in our chapter this morning, 15 verse 1, Luke tells us that tax collectors, disloyal Israelites who were seen as traitors because they were hired by the Romans to tax other Jews, These tax collectors were known for being corrupt and adding extra taxes for personal profit. It was the tax collectors and sinners who were all drawing near to hear Jesus. Now in the eyes of the religious leaders, these were all bad people who were unclean and despicable and detestable. Why? Because these people, these sinners, these tax collectors had a bad reputation. They were involved in all kinds of impurities. In other words, they weren't righteous. So verse 1 tells us that the tax collectors and sinners were all drawing near to Jesus. And I want to draw your attention to two things. One, even while hearing the difficulty of Jesus' message or of His teachings... These outcasts were drawing near to Jesus. A few chapters before, in chapter 9, Luke tells us that Jesus taught difficult things such as, for whoever wants to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. And as we will see in a few weeks, a tax collector by the name of Zacchaeus learned the answer to what this meant and eventually followed Jesus. So one, these outcasts were drawing near to Jesus. And two, once again, since the fall took place back in the garden, man has been running away from God. But here we find that they are drawing near to God. Now, throughout the Gospels, especially in the Gospel of Luke, we find that Jesus is known for accepting sinners into his presence. Now, I want to make it clear that Jesus spoke against their sins. He wasn't accepting of their lifestyle. But these outcasts saw Jesus as one who was there not to condemn, but to restore their relationship with God. This kind of relationship earned Jesus the nickname, the friend of tax collectors and sinners. Going back to Luke 15, verse 2 says, And the Pharisees and the scribes grumbled, saying, This man receives sinners and eats with them. This accepting of the worst kind of people is what led the Pharisees and the scribes to grumble against Jesus for receiving and eating with sinners. They couldn't believe that this teacher would spend the time or would take the time to even talk with these kind of people, these sinners. So Jesus... Jesus' telling of the parables in Luke 15 is a response to the Pharisees and the scribes grumbling about His accepting of sinners, those who in their eyes were unacceptable before God. And this is exactly what Jesus came to do. He came to seek and to save the lost. Now, unfortunately, this grumbling that we see here from the... Pharisees and the scribes was characteristic of them in Luke 5 we read that when Jesus called Matthew Matthew responded by hosting a Jesus and having a great feast at his house the Pharisees and the scribes once again grumbled saying why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners and Jesus used this situation to teach them about his mission. Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. We find that in, verse, in chapter 5, verse 31. Now what Jesus was telling them was that he came to save people who understood their need. He couldn't save those who believed they were healthy. Or in other words, I can't heal you as long as you think you are righteous. I have come to heal those who are sick. I have come to save sinners and those who acknowledge it. Because I have come to seek and save them. Later in chapter 7 verse 36, we read something similar that Jesus had been invited to a meal at a house of a Pharisee. And all of a sudden, a woman of the city described as a sinner began to wash the feet of Jesus with her tears. And then she wiped them with her hair. She kissed his feet and anointed them with an expensive ointment. Now the Pharisee who had invited Jesus said to, said to himself, If this man were a prophet... He would have known who and what sort of woman this is who was touching him, for she is a sinner. And once again, Jesus came to save these kinds of people, people like us, sinners. People, uh, Jesus came to save people who respond like her, recognizing their need for God. So we find a theme of Jesus dealing with the self-righteousness of the religious leaders. In chapter 10, um, as we um, talked about a few weeks ago, in the parable of the Good Samaritan, we saw that Jesus addressed this problem of self-righteousness. The lawyer there wanted to obtain salvation by keeping the law, and he asked a legal question, which prompted Jesus to respond with a legal answer. Jesus graciously tried to help him see his inability to love God and love his neighbor as was required of him. And Jesus was giving him the opportunity to recognize his inability to do so and to turn to him for salvation. So we see that Jesus continually reached out to outcasts and sinners. It's important to note that while Jesus has come to save lost sinners, not all men recognize that they're lost. Not everyone acknowledges it. But praise God that whenever a person does repent and turns to Jesus, he becomes their Savior. So here in Luke 15-2, we find a contrast between the Pharisees' and the scribes, and God. The religious leaders had no love for their neighbors. They were not interested in the salvation of the lost. They were only interested in themselves. On the other hand, God's desire is to seek and save the lost, and does so and has done so through Jesus. And so now we begin with the parables. Now, I want to make a small note that all three parables make the same point. So we continue with verse 3 through 6. So Jesus told them this parable. What man among you, having a hundred sheep, if he has lost one of them, does not leave the ninety-nine in the open country and go after the one that is lost until he finds it? And when he has found it, he lays it on his shoulders, rejoicing. And when he comes home, he calls together his friends and his neighbors, saying to them, Rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep that was lost. In verse 4, the idea is that all people would go and look for their lost sheep. The shepherd in charge would make the effort to look for the sheep that he most likely would have grown attached to, that he would have loved after taking care of it every day, feeding it, providing for it. A shepherd who loses a sheep would go out and look for it. And in verse 6, we read that the shepherd, after finding his lost sheep, would call his friends and neighbors to celebrate with him. There's no grumbling, there's no kicking of the sheep for getting lost. There's a genuine joy that comes from finding something that he loved and cared for. So the point of the parable is that the shepherd rejoiced after finding his sheep. His celebrating with his friends highlights the joy that he feels over finding what was lost. Jesus then continues in verse 7 saying that there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who need no repentance. What does this mean? It means that when a sinner repents, God calls for a celebration in heaven. The parable helps us see that God is like a shepherd who has a heart for seeking and saving the lost. Psalm 23, um, in Psalm 23, we 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 read that David describes God as a shepherd who provides for his needs. The shepherd provides green pastures and leads his sheep to still waters. He restores their soul. He protects his own so they have nothing to fear. And not only that, here in our parable we read that God expresses so much joy when a sinner repents that all of heaven rejoices with him because God's heart longs for lost people to be saved. God is the one who initiates the search and rescue mission. Unlike the religious leaders, God loves sinners and longs to save them. So this first parable deals with lost sheep. We move to the second parable, beginning there in verses 8 and 9. Or what woman, having ten silver coins, if she loses one coin, does not light a lamp and sweep the house and seek diligently until she finds it? And when she has found it, she calls together her friends and neighbors, saying, Rejoice with me, for I have found the coin that I had lost. Just so I tell you, there is joy before the angels of God over one sinner who repents. Here we read of a woman who loses a silver coin, which was roughly the um, equivalent to a day's wage. I think it's obvious for someone who loses something of value, in this case, a day's wage, a person would take the time to to seek what was lost. If I lost a check, I'm sure that if you lost a paycheck worth a day's wage, you and I would look all over the place for it. We'd check our bags, our books, to see if we maybe used it as a bookmarker. We'd check our tables, our desks, our cars, we would look for it. And so here, a woman loses a silver coin. Now the floors in the homes of the woman's culture were made of dirt. So, in Jesus' parables, he gives the image of a coin that could have easily gotten lost in the dirt. The woman then would sweep the house carefully in hopes of finding the coin that holds dear value to her. So the point of the parable is that she rejoices after finding her coin so much so that she calls her friends and neighbors calling them to participate in her joy and in her celebration. This woman also couldn't contain herself to the point that she celebrates with others. So this parable holds the same idea of the first parable. So then in verse 10, Jesus continues saying, Just so, I tell you, there is joy before the angels of God over one sinner who repents. Once again, Jesus lets us into the heart of God, showing the Pharisees and the scribe that God cares about the lost so much that He seeks that He seeks them. The joy felt before the angels is God's joy. His joy fills heaven and the angels participate in the celebration. So we see that for both parables. The joy of God is highlighted and a celebration in heaven. This joy is expressed because of the salvation of a lost person. So here we see once again that God reacts completely different than the religious people. The Pharisees and the scribes grumbled because Jesus allowed sinners to come to Him to be saved. God, on the other hand, rejoices over lost sinners who repent and come back to Him. In the Old Testament, we read that the prophet Ezekiel says that God does not delight in the death of the wicked. God desires that the wicked would turn from their sins and be saved. Jeremiah tells us in verse, in chapter 32, verse 41, that God rejoices with His heart and soul over His people. He delights in doing His people good. In the person of Jesus Christ, God has acted to save the lost. For those of us that uh, were here on Wednesday evening, we we heard a message by our brother Tyler on John 3.16. He talked about, for God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son. Why? Because God's heart is for His people, for lost, for the lost. We have proof of it in that God sent His Son, Jesus Christ, to seek and save the lost. Like the shepherd who rejoiced after seeking and finding his lost sheep, and the woman who rejoiced after she found her lost coin, so God seeks the lost and rejoices when lost men and women are saved. This leads us to the third parable a famous parable the parable of the prodigal son. Beginning in, verses, in verse 11, Luke writes, And he said, There was a man who had two sons. And the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of property that is coming to me. And the father divided his property between them. Here Jesus tells us that there were two sons. The younger, self-centered son, and as we will find out later, the older, self-righteous son. Now, one commentator explains that the younger son's request was something that was completely unheard of in Middle Eastern uh, culture. This request was a self-centered act of rebellion that was equal to his wishing that his father was dead. Now, the father would have had every right to reject the son's request and discipline him for, the, for his action. But we read here that the father doesn't do that. He gives in to the request and he divided his property between his sons. The father graciously did this, dividing his estate. And this gives us a glimpse into the graciousness of God the father when Adam and Eve declared their independence by rebelling against God, God could have easily taken their lives away. But He didn't. In the same way, the father in this parable grants his son what he willfully desired. Then in verse 13, Not many days later, the younger son gathered all, that he, all he had and took a journey into a far country. And there he squandered his property in reckless living. This describes, or Jesus begins to, to describe the life of the rebellious prodigal, the rebellious younger son. 13 through 7 through 20 continues saying uh, not many days later the younger son gathered all he had and took a journey into a far country and there he squandered his property in reckless living and when he had spent everything a severe famine arose in that country and he began to be in need so he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country who sent him into the fields to feed pigs and he was longing to be fed with the pods that the pigs ate, and no one gave him anything. But when he came to himself, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread, but I perish here with hunger? So the son packed up his bags and went on to live a reckless life, losing everything that had been given to him we see that his situation went from bad to worse. First, he spent everything that he had. Then, a famine hit the country where he was stranded. And finally, he had to resort to beg to survive. The younger son went from being in a place of honor in his father's house to a place of poverty and need. His need was so great that he even desired to eat. The pig's food. Now this gives us a picture of sin. It provides us with a description of what sin does to rebellious sinners. Having been made in the image of the good and gracious God, people everywhere have rebelled against Him, wasting their life away in the world. And sin blinds people, making them go after foolish and false treasures. Of the world verse 17 says but when he came to himself he said how many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread but I perish here with hunger here we begin to see signs of repentance The prodigal son recognized the mess that he had put himself in. He understood that the life he was living was not worth it. And this is where he begins to show signs of repentance. Verses 18 and 19, which say, I will arise and go to my father and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me. As one of your hired servants, we begin to see repentance in action. The prodigal son recognized his sin, but he didn't stop at that. He recognized his greatest need or his greatest sin, which was against God, saying, I have sinned against heaven and against his Father. He sinned against his heavenly father and earthly father by not honoring both. Why? Because the law of God requires people or children to honor their parents. And so this son had disobeyed God by not honoring his father. Now the son also displayed humility. He didn't claim to be righteous. He went to the Father with empty hands, poor, and in need. Now remember that Jesus told these parables in response to the Pharisees and the scribes grumbling of him receiving sinners. This attitude is what made the outcasts acceptable before Jesus. In the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus taught that blessed are the poor in spirit. Those who express genuine humility by acknowledging their spiritual poverty, those who understand that they are lost and hopeless apart from God. Jesus also taught, blessed are those who mourn. Those who mourn over their sin." those who mourn over their lostness, which produces repentance, which leads to salvation. This is the kind of attitude that recognizes one's spiritual poverty before God, expressed in repentance and is characteristic of those who Jesus came to seek and save. Verse 20 says, And He arose, And came to his father. And this is the picture of repentance. For repentance is to make a U turn and walk in the opposite direction of sin. The prodigal had originally walked away from the father, but now he was walking back to him. His humility is what led his father to exalt him. And continuing in verse 21. Jesus says, But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion and ran and embraced him and kissed him. While the religious leaders thought they had God figured out, Jesus used these three parables to challenge their understanding of God, sin, and salvation. These three parables focus on the God who is the seeker and savior of sinners who rejoices when they are found. Jesus used this parable to describe how the father ran to his lost son while he was still a long way off, feeling compassion for him, embracing him, and kissing him. I imagine that the father was out looking for his son daily to see if he would return And so it is with God. Paul writes in Romans 3 that apart from Christ all men are under sin and no one seeks God. It is God who initiates this work of salvation in the heart of sinners by which they freely come to him. When the when the lost sinner comes to God, he is greeted with compassion and much love. And this is the picture of the God who seeks and saves repentant sinners. The father does not let the the lost son continue with his speech. The father responds in the same way that the shepherd and the women did. He calls for a celebration. So continuing there in verse 22, Jesus says, But the father said to his uh, But the father said to his servants, Bring quickly the best robe and put it on him, and put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet, and bring the fattened calf and kill it, and let us eat and celebrate. For this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to celebrate. The father saw his son's humility mourning over his rebellion and repentance all which led to his being accepted so the point that Jesus is making here is that God seeks and saves repentant sinners and when they are found he rejoices Now, this would have been a great place for Jesus to end his parable. But he didn't. He doesn't. He continues. In verse 25, Jesus says, Now, his older son was in the field. And as he came and drew near to the house, he heard music and dancing. And he called one of the servants and asked what these things meant. And he said to him, Your brother has come, and your father has killed the fattened calf because he has received him back safe and sound. But he was angry and refused to go in. His father came out and entreated him. But he answered his father, Look, these many years I have served you. I never disobeyed your command, yet you never gave me a young goat. That I might celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours, who has devoured your property with prostitutes, you killed the fattened calf for him. While the younger son foolishly wasted his share of the property, the older son kept his portion and did what was more culturally acceptable. He stuck around and stayed with his father. He read we read that he was returning from the field when he became aware of the celebration. It didn't take long before the father's wishes to celebrate uh, got started. And so as the son tried to make sense of what was going on, he called a servant to find out the reason for the celebration. And then he found out that his father was celebrating his younger brother's return. In other words, the father was celebrating the salvation of a repentant sinner. Or repentant tax collectors and sinners. Verse 28 says that the older son became angry and refused to go in. The older son was representative of the grumbling Pharisees and scribes. Being that he was such an obedient and righteous son, or so it seemed, he refused to go in and celebrate the res- the return of his sinful brother. This not so righteous older son displayed the rebellion in his own heart. He didn't love his brother He didn't love his father. If he did love them, he would have participated in the father's joy and in the celebration. And once again, we can see the father's heart in that he took the initiative of going out to seek and even plead. But this time, it was for the older son. Then the older son started to justify his hatred, saying, Look, these many years I have served you, and I never disobeyed your command. Yet you never gave me a young goat that I might celebrate with my friends. But when this, this sinful son of yours came, who, came, who has devoured his property with prostitutes. You killed the fattened calf for him. Doesn't this sound just like the lawyer that tried to test Jesus when he responded with the parable of the Good Samaritan? Oh, I know that I keep the greatest commandment. I love God perfectly. But tell me, Jesus, who qualifies for my love? Certainly not this sinful, prodigal brother of mine. This older brother, representative of the Pharisees and the scribes, did not love what his father loved. He did not want to share in the joy of his father. He had no compassion for his brother who was in need. His self-righteousness had blinded him to his own sin, to his own need. And in verses 31 and 32, Jesus ends the parable saying, Son, you are always with me, and all that is mine is yours. It was fitting to celebrate and be glad, for this your brother, your brother, was dead and is alive. He was lost and is found. We see that the older brother, just like the Pharisees and the scribes that Jesus was responding to, were self-righteous, not seeing their own need for forgiveness. The truth was that they weren't righteous. They only pretended to be. They were confident in their own righteousness and looked down on all others who weren't like them. Earlier in Luke's gospel, Jesus had explained that he had not come to call the righteous or the self-righteous, but sinners to repentance. Jesus has come into the world to seek and save repentant sinners. In conclusion... The three parables recorded in Luke 15 show us that God has sent His Son, Jesus Christ, to seek and to save repentant sinners. God does not delight in the death or rebellion of the wicked, but rejoices in the finding and restoring of lost people who repent of their sins and submit to Him. The lives of both sons were dead ends. Both were spiritually lost. The younger son displayed repentance. He saw his sin, mourned over it, displayed humility, and received his father's forgiveness and salvation. His relationship was restored with the father. The older son illustrates the wickedness of self-righteousness. He did not see his sin. He exalted himself, was prideful, and continued being in need. The father picture, pictures are saving and seeking God, who is eager to forgive, longing for the return of sinners. When the lost are found, the father rejoices and celebrates in heaven. Now, if you're visiting us today and you know yourself to be like one of the these two lost sons, there's good news. The parables we just went through show us that God graciously extends forgiveness of sins and a restored relationship with Him to all who recognize their need for forgiveness. This is possible through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, who has paid the penalty of sins for all who believe. Now this parable can be seen as Jesus in action as he evangelizes seeking for these people to turn away from their sins so that they would be found and restored into right relationship with God. So I'd like for us to use this understanding of God's joy in finding lost sinners to drive us to be encouraged in wanting to share the gospel with the lost. Because God greatly delights and rejoices when a lost sinner is found. And what a privilege it is for us to be given the opportunity to participate in the seeking and saving of the lost. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come before you and we praise you that you are a God who seeks and saves lost sinners. We praise you that you love people who repent from their sins and turn back to you and you receive sinners with with much love we thank you that when we were lost you took the initiative in seeking us and saving us and we thank you that although we had nothing to offer you you offered everything to us Lord we pray that if there's anyone who here who has not been found that you would be working in the heart drawing the lost to you we pray that wherever we find ourselves whether at school or at work or at a coffee shop or at the supermarket that we would delight in in sharing the gospel and participating in, in, in your mission of seeking and saving the lost that We would rejoice with you as you celebrate in heaven the return of lost sinners who are saved and restored. So Lord, we praise you for the salvation that you freely offer and extend to us. We thank you that although we fall short, there is forgiveness of sins in Jesus Christ. So Lord, we praise you. We thank you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.